6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 73 through 80. Well, we're continuing our review of the book of Psalms, and we're entering book three. The book of Psalms is actually five books. We're entering the third book, which includes Psalms 73 through 89 in total. And uh, so the, uh, this particular segment, book three, is sometimes referred to as the Leviticus section, if you will. And uh, the, uh, uh, even in the first psalm, the sanctuary is very prominent. The, uh, the, the, that's why these things get these labels, if you will. Leviticus, of course, is the book of worship. There are people that regard the book of Leviticus as the most important book of the Bible. That may surprise you, because for many of us, it may seem very dry and hard to, to get some value out of. Quite the contrary. It's one of the most important. You can't just read it. You need to study it. But it's one of the most important books of the Bible. But anyway, it does deal with worship. And it deals with holiness. And indeed, of course, the tabernacle and later the temple. And so that's why many scholars, serious scholars, treat Leviticus as the most important book in the Bible. Leviticus emphasizes two things, holiness, because God is holy. We need to understand that. And that's not an obvious, direct, easily attainable perception. We need to really understand what that really means. And of course, coupled with that is sacrifice, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And that, and that root truth, the entire Bible swings on that. So, We'll start this survey, this review of book three with Psalm 73, and it's a psalm of Asaph, Asaph being the choir uh, director, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, for, this is the first of 11, a series of 11 that he wrote. He wrote one, uh, Psalm 50, and then this series from 73 to 83, uh, he wrote these 11 psalms. And uh, truly God is good to Israel even do such as are of a clean heart. And um, those who come with their sacrifices are what's really implied in the, uh, the Hebrew expression here. Those that have a desire to serve God and walk with him. So, fair enough. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. And uh, Asaph is going to say he's going to look around his nation and he's shocked at the Corruption that he beholds. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here is this theme that continues to emerge throughout the Bible. All through the Bible. And um, this frustration that we experience as we see that the wicked prosper and the faithful seem to be injured. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he says, and for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. See, all of us 
engage these things. Many people get worried about their doubt. You know, doubt come, and doubt and uh, disbelief are two different things. Doubt comes from a struggling mind. Unbelief from a stubborn will that refuses surrender. Those two ideas lurk behind this. There's nothing wrong with honest doubt. But um, unbelief comes from, is an is, is a act of will, actually. But moving on in verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men, speaking of the wicked, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compassed them about as a chain. I love that phrase. How, how descriptive. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. It's a shock to really appreciate how our pride makes us, puts us into bondage. That's what leads to envy and so forth. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> they set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. You know, it's interesting. You think of the news media, television. They all spread their arrogance and their ungodliness. And we should be very sensitive to that. Um, Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is their knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. That's a reality that we see today. That indeed the ungodly seem to prosper. They seem to be the ones that are unencumbered. And obviously they're accompanied with skepticism and and worse. Verily I've cleansed my heart in vain, the the psalmist says, and washed my hands in innocency. What he's really saying, in effect, is I have attempted to live for God, but it looks like it doesn't pay. That's really what he's saying. We need to applaud his candor. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning, and if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until he did what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood I their end. That's the difference. See, it's easy. There's going to be a number of these Psalms in which Asaph is pretty much, he starts that way and things look really dark and it's very valid, very descriptive of our day to day even. And yet it all changes depending on where you're focused. Then I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Then he took a long view. He realizes that it ain't over until it's over. Surely thou didn't set them in slippery places. (laughs) Indeed. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. He's speaking metaphorically here as if God is asleep, and when he wakes up, he'll take care of all of that. That's idiomatically uh, uh, sort of the picture he's painting here. 
Thus my heart was grieved when I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. But nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. See, it's just, God, in effect, is doing with Asaph what he does to all of us. He asks, every day he asks us the question, do you trust me? That's really what he's saying. Do you trust me? And he takes us by the hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God has his hand on you, he finishes what he starts. Praise God for that. And uh, so Asaph takes refuge in that. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Question, where are you? Are you close to him or at a distance? Only you can answer that. That's the issue. Well, that's Asaph's excursion there in Psalm 73. Let's go to Psalm 74. We're going to talk now about the temple being defiled. This, the theme here is a cry for deliverance when the temple is defiled by an enemy. And uh, some scholars seem to feel that Psalm 74 echoes the Babylonian destruction back in the 6th century B.C., 587, 586 B.C. And... Uh, Jeremiah speaks a lot about this and lamentations and so forth in the psalm. In some respects, is parallel to some of that. Again, it's Asaph, a psalm of Asaph. And uh, so it's, uh, uh, Asaph was a, you know, a Levite, a musician. And uh, this may not be the original Asaph of David, something I should alert you to. The, there may be a namesake in subsequent generations, but that's, scholars aren't sure. So... Uh, O oh God, why hast thou cast us off forever? See, again, he feels distant. Against he feels abandoned here. O oh God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. They're conscious of their, their being in the center of God's interest, and yet at the same time they feel abandoned. It's a real paradox. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. Now, again, notice it's the sanctuary that's in focus here that has been apparently profaned. Before we get on to the history here in Israel, is that true of our sanctuaries today? Are the sanctuaries of the so-called church in America profaned? Are there tendencies called the emergent church where they're going back to incense and icons and medieval practices, practices that were extant when the Bible was not available as it is today? It's interesting to see the decline of the church in its many different forms. Our friends in Europe indicate that our uh, Coinly Institute, uh, our internet fellowship that's growing so much, is a bigger thing in Europe than here because they don't have an alternative. If we think our churches are dead, take a look at the churches in, in, in Europe. 
Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregation. They set up their ensigns for signs. You know, this seems to echo the fall of uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Roman legions tore down the temple, burned it down, and put their ensigns at the eastern gate. Not in the Holy of Holies, as some people maintain, no, but at the eastern gate. They set up their ensigns for signs. And they took axes and cut through the gold-covered doors and so forth. Man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees and so on. See, Asaph's got a prophecy here, really. And some people feel that some of these echoes are prophetic of that terrible invasion by the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was about 167 B.C., made circumcision a capital crime in Judea. And uh, uh, put a, you know, erected a, you know, a, a slaughtered a sow on the, a golden altar, on the uh, brazen altar. And ultimately erected a, an idol in the Holy of Holies. And that became known as the abomination of desolation. This is echoing some of those things. Uh, he was a, uh, Antiochus was a, a, Syri a Syrian, actually a, a segment of the, the former Greek empire. And he, 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 he was a descendant of one of the four generals that divided up Alexander the Great's empire after his death. And uh, in 167, he plundered Jerusalem and profaned the temple. And, and that event is very pivotal um, you described in Daniel 8 and 9 and elsewhere, but also Jesus himself makes reference to it as going to happen again at the end time. That's why we study it so carefully to understand it, because Jesus makes reference to it as a, a, uh, an event that's also going to repeat itself here in the future, in effect. But he also talks, it also seems to fit the, uh, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, when Titus, the Roman general, leveled the temple to the ground not leaving one stone upon another. And some people also feel it's also prophetic, the psalm is also prophetic of these events that will repeat themselves in a sense in the great tribulation, at the end of the great, during the great tribulation in this so-called 70th week of Daniel. See, so the more you know about history and the more, know, the more you know about your Bible, the more meaning these psalms will have for you. Some of these psalms may not be that uh, gripping to many of us and part of that may be because uh, we don't know our Bible that well. They don't fit in with that clearly. Or part of it may be that uh, uh, we uh, 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 just don't know the history. But also, uh, another reason the psalm, some of them may not be that important is because we haven't experienced some of the things that the psalm is dealing with. And, uh, but moving on, uh, Psalm 74, verse 6. But now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. This describes, this is very descriptive of the temple being burned down as it was in 70 AD. But wait a minute, this was written three, four, five hundred years earlier before that happened. Interesting. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there... Among us, any that knoweth how long, O oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. Do you hear the plea? If you hear the anguish of Asaph's psalm, the diaspora lasted 1900 years as they plead. How long? How long shall the enemy blaspheme thy name? Not us, thy name. Forever. And indeed the enemy has done that. 
For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by the strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of the Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Verse 12 is the turning point for the psalm. Here's where Asaph's starting to lift his look up again to God. And uh, we're breaking uh, whales and stuff here. I won't get into all that here. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine, the night is also thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached the Lord and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Have respect unto the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Oh, let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. You know, the Lord has delivered people in far worse shape than we're in, in effect. And he's going to do even greater things in the future. And that's going to all emerge here. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increases continually. You know, it's interesting how often Moses, in praying to God, would call God's reputation into question. If you don't help us, the, 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 those people are going to say you, you're not powerful enough to do that. I mean, you can see Moses even arguing along the same, the same flavor here. Okay, let's go to Psalm 75. Now, that was a plea for help. These are a series. You know, it, it, one thing, it, it, I wouldn't make the case for all the Psalms, but we do sense that there are clusters of them that have a sequential relationship. And now we're going to go from that prayer, if you will, to a thanksgiving for being delivered. Interesting enough. And uh, so 74 was a prayer, and this one is a song of deliverance. And uh, it's, so it's, a, in effect, a psalm of faith. And Psalm 75, 76, 77, and 78, that group uh, are some, some associated with the, uh, seems to be descriptive of Hezekiah and his dilemma with the Assyrians and how God miraculously delivered them from the Assyrians, which is described in Isaiah 36 and 37. To the chief musician, Aldashith, a psalm or song of Asaph, and I won't try to unravel the, the Aldashith really just means destroy not. And, com- and uh, experts are not sure what that meant. Was it, a co- it may have been the name of a common melody that they used. That's one speculation. Uh, who knows? It's a, it, it apparently had mu- musical meaning at the time. We don't, it's been lost in the meantime. Anyway, unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks, for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. When I shall receive the congregation, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it. And then we have this interesting little pause, Selah. Some people regard it as a musical term. Others argue that it's actually a thought linker to pause and connect what's been said. I said unto the fools, deal not foolishly, and to the wicked I lift not up the horn. Lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck, for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. What's left? Strange thing, this strange thing uh, of the north. It speaks of uh, Zion in some psalms. It speaks of God's throne in others. That's where Satan aspired in Isaiah 14 to be up in the sides of the north. 
And also, the north also is the path through which Jerusalem was always conquered. That's why the Antonia Fortress is built on the north side. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them, and I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Now horn is a classic idiom for strength or authority. Obviously the power of an animal was determined by the use of its horn, but that became an idiom of, of, of strength or authority or wicked. Okay. Some of these are very short, so let's relax. There is a sequence. Psalm 74 was a cry for help. Arise, O God. 75 was a song of thanks for God's deliverance out of the clutches of some northern power, and that could fit any of a number of situations. Some people recall the Assyrians coming down against Hezekiah. There's much to say about that in uh, Scripture. But uh, the north was always the avenue of exposure to Jerusalem. But the, you know, uh, so they couldn't get help out of the east or the west. Or the, so the north was the trouble coming. Russia will come from the north in Ezekiel 38. And many people see that starting to take shape in front of us here. So we'll watch and see. So the next psalm shows the Lord Jesus reigning in his kingdom as king and priest, the true Melchizedek. See the pattern here. I think that's kind of interesting. So uh, it may have an eschatological overtone. It may not. I'll leave that up to you. Again, to the chief musician on Niganoth, which is a stringed instrument, a psalm or song of Asaph. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. And uh, in Salem, which is the earlier ancient name for Jerusalem, um, Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. That can be seen several. Israel can be seen as the broader term. It can also be seen as the northern kingdom versus the southern kingdom, depending. Uh, that all comes later, of course. In Salem, also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. And uh, this has overtones of the divided kingdom because the northern kingdom called itself is the house of Israel. But you remember the woman at the well with Jesus. You know where where do we where do we should we worship? And Jesus ultimately gets to the point that it's of the Jews in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow. The shield, the sword, and the battle. Selah. You know, we keep hearing Isaiah 2.4 is quoted so often in the news and so forth. They shall beat their shares into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn any more war anymore. Right? Uh, we better not apply that um, to the UN because it doesn't fit. Okay? And uh, so... No, they break, it isn't going to, not until the Prince of Peace comes. And uh, this, the issue of a bow is going to come up again. There is a term I was fascinated to discover in the Psalms called the deceitful bow. That term also occurs in Hosea. And uh, it intrigues me because in Revelation 6 verse 2, the white horseman carries a bow. And if you, if you uh, apply the principle of what they call expositional constancy, um, that bow is deceitful. Interesting. Our leader carries a sword, not a bow. Big difference. 
Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse are cast into dead sleep. And uh, the mountains of prey, that refers, of course, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is uh, probably been the most preyed-upon city of ancient times. It has been preyed upon 27 times. Has Jerusalem been invaded or taken over or whatever? And of course, uh, verse f- uh, 5 here, speaking of men of, uh, you know, uh, being slept and so forth, the whole world lies asleep in whose arms? The wicked one. 1 John 5, 19, for those of you who want a reference on that. And uh, thou, even thou art to be feared, and who may stand in thy sight when, when once thou art angry? <laughs> That's a good question. When God gets angry, watch out, huh? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. The God rose to judgment and to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. There's that pause again. And uh, I'm reminded by this with, of Revelation 6.17 where John says, For the great day of his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb, has come. And who shall be able to stand? It's the same thought here. A.W. Tozer made a great remark in this flavor. He said, no one can know the true grace of God who hasn't first known the fear of God. I want to think about that. You know, we tend to be so comfortable in the grace of God and his mercy and the benefits he showers upon us. We do need to understand and apprehend the fear of God. That really comes first. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of the wrath shalt thou restrain. Vow and pay unto the Lord your God, let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought to be feared. You know, today, man is being restrained. Doesn't seem like it at times, does it? But we know the restrainer is still operative, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.